This is Unfiltered, episode 167 for November 23rd, 2015. So when they stand up on television and says, the tragedy in Paris means you have to give up your liberty. We need more phone surveillance. Bullshit. said it better myself. Welcome to Unfiltered, episode 167 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's distracting you from all of that TV you really shouldn't be watching, especially this week. What a mess. In fact, you could just watch this episode of Unfiltered and then skip the rest of CNN for the entire week because they're only talking about this stuff this week. It's another big show, and we're here on a Monday. Producer Matt has worked overtime to go through and get a bunch of clips so we can follow up right nicely, very, very neatly, from episode 166 of the Unfiltered Show. This one tucks up and snuggles with 166 real well. If uh, you want to get a complete picture of the Paris attacks and what happened and where are you at, when it happened, and several days afterwards, and then today, this episode really will go in on some of the things since all of that has transpired. There's so much to cover today that uh, we were going to initially take the week off for the holiday because the Unfiltered Show does normally air on a Wednesday, and here we are on a Monday. Well, we thought, you know, there is so much to, t- there is so much to cover it really just would be a disservice to the audience if we didn't have a show this week. And so uh, here we are on a Monday with a very special edition of Unfilter. And we're going to start with our normal cyber selection and then we'll get into follow-up on the Paris attacks. So, of course, all coverage now in the cyber and privacy category has sort of an ISIS or terrorism bent on it, like our first clip here on the Unfilter show. Since the Paris attacks, there's been lots of concern in Washington and other world capitals over fears of how terrorists can communicate by going dark, namely using an array of technologies to hide from law enforcement before and after the attacks. Now, no mention of the fact that uh, the Paris attacks were carried out by eight individuals who lived near each other and in some cases even in the same building and were able to just communicate in the hallway while walking past each other or when they weren't in the hallway walking past each other or over at each other's house for dinner, they would just communicate over unencrypted SMS. No mention of that there, but still a pretty solid setup. In the aftermath of the Paris attacks, investigators are still hunting for answers to how the terrorists communicated with each other and... El- in the same building. ...eluded surveillance. But their eyes are on the now ubiquitous cell phone, which can send coded information using free, readily available technologies that defy cracking by intelligence agencies and even the companies that created them. In Washington yesterday, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Republican Richard Burr, said that very technology was probably at play in Paris. So that's the guy that uh, replaced uh, your good friend, your old buddy Mike Rogers, and standing next to him is Dianne Feinstein. Now, they represent the NSA, right? They're from the Senate Intelligence Committee. They literally push forward every single agenda the the intelligence community has. 
as during the entirety of the of the initial release of the Snowden leaks, Feinstein was on every single weekend program and defending what the NSA does. They are the number one apologist in the Senate for the intelligence community. The number one representation for two. These people are the worst people to get the perspective on. But of course, that's who PBS goes to. Said that very technology was probably at play in Paris. Globally, we need to we need to begin the debate on what we do on encrypted networks. Globally, we need to have a debate on encrypted networks. Is this perhaps something that's going to be worked into the TPP? Why would we have a global debate? Why is that up to a global debate? Shouldn't it be a, a glo- globally? We have to have this because it makes us blind to the communications and to the actions of potential adversaries. It's called end-to-end encryption, meaning data gets encrypted or locked away with special codes on one device and is only decrypted when it reaches another. Popular applications like WhatsApp, Apple's iMessage, Threema, and Telegram all operate this way. Some of the encrypted apps, like Destructs, also employ technology that makes messages disappear after they're delivered, leaving no trace. Terrorists conceal their work using other sites, like Just Paste It. It is one place the Islamic State group posts messages and claims of responsibility without having to register. The Tor browser bounces communications around a distributed network of relays run by volunteers. We're just going down the checklist. You see how we're just going down, check this off, check this one off. These are all the legitimate tools that the boogeyman can use. You know, interestingly enough, uh, if you think about it, these are also the same tools that a bunch of front people that pretend to be ISIS and claim credit for things and post propaganda videos out of Qatar. Uh, these also could be the same tools they use to publish this information and claim responsibility, you know, if you think about it. Hiding both the user's activity and location. Terrorist groups have even created their own encrypted software, specifically to evade detection by the National Security Agency. If that's actually true, if to, if what she just said was, uh, and, and I'll just play it back just so we get it correctly. Software, specifically to evade detection by the National Security okay, Agency. Okay, I thought so. So what she's saying is terrorists created encryption specifically to evade detection by the NSA. Well, that couldn't, there couldn't be better news for the NSA. That couldn't be that can be more music to their ears because the best case scenario for the NSA, the best case scenario is that they use encryption they invented themselves because what a piece of shit that would be. Everybody knows the best crypto is the stuff that is tried, true, is true, proven by, a, by you know, years and years of community vetting. The, the worst of crypto, the stuff that always falls apart, is the stuff some clever guy invented in his basement, and now he has a new crypto that he's using. And that's always the stuff that falls apart. So let's hope, let's hope that's what ISIS is doing, because man, that's a boon for the intelligence agency. They'll be able to crack that shit in no time. Users' activity and location. Terrorist groups have even created their own encrypted software, specifically to evade detection by the National Security Agency. That would literally be the worst idea they could possibly have to communicate. They would be better off communicating in clear text using, you know, some sort like Pig Latin. Because the problem when you actually have false a false sense of security and you actually start trusting it is you would actually put legitimate communications in this communications channel. And if they actually invented their own crypto, that is just fantastic for the NSA. CIA Director John Brennan today warned that the digital world respects no sovereign borders. 
You can move things around the world at the speed of light. Oh, I love that. Hop around so many countries. And unless there's going to be some type of international understanding about what is appropriate and acceptable. Again, another government representative saying an international or a worldwide understanding. Again, this feels like groundwork for the TPP justification to me. Within that digital main, we're going to face a world of hurt in the future. The tech industry is against giving up encrypted or backdoor information. In October, the Obama administration backed down from its earlier request for access, appearing to accept the argument that this would simultaneously open the door to hackers, cyber criminals, and terrorists. And let's. The fundamental problem here is you're going to these people and you're arguing, well, we need access to do this, and you're arguing something at a technical level to a technology company. There's no way the government's going to win that argument because the technology company has a better fundamental understanding of the technology. So if they say something, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite obvious uh, that the government really has no logical arguments. We have to continue to build this public opinion case about it. We have to build this pressure so they will, the, the tech companies feel a, a, a patriotic duty. So it becomes almost a marketing thing. We're working to keep America safe by protecting our communications channels. You know, and this is something that, you know, really, when you go to communications channels and protecting them, you got to blame Edward Snowden. That guy is responsible for giving those terrorists the playbook. That Edward Snowden and that Glenn Greenwald, if they hadn't published all of this stuff, these terrorists would still be using clear SMS texts and just communicating in person like the French did. investigators, let me just be specific, have found encrypted apps. So the good news is they've found some of these terrorist cell phones. And on right. those cell phones, you know, it's a treasure trove. Right. And within the treasure trove is they've found these encrypted apps. So now they've found these encrypted apps on the phone. Nobody else is really reporting this, but we're going with this. There's encrypted apps. Yes, this was after last week's show, these encrypted apps were things that were found on the phone, but no details. doesn't appear how they communicated. It could just be they had an iPhone that had iMessage installed. That would literally qualify as, by their definition, an encrypted app. Um, and they believe they knew to use encrypted communications because of the Edward Snowden revelations. So because of Edward Snowden, these Paris attackers knew to use encryption even though they didn't use encryption. They knew to use encryption because they had iMessage installed on their iPhone. See, Snowden blew the lid, and so everybody went out and installed iMessage when they got an iPhone. What was it you said earlier about, 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 about Snowden? Snowden? Uh, I said that I thought he ought to be brought back to the United States and tried before a jury of his uh, peers, if convicted of treason, which is, I think, the appropriate uh, uh, charge. Um, this is James Woolsey, the uh, former CIA director. Didn't you say you thought he had yeah, well, it was Yeah, it's still a capital crime, and I would uh, give him the death sentence, and I would uh, prefer to see him hanged by the neck until he was dead Woo! rather than merely electrocuted. I think the blood of a lot of these French uh, young people is on his hands. That's how we go. Uh, that's how we roll. Yeah. So this is Snowden's fault, man. And, and isn't this a nice tidying of the narrative for the intelligence agencies? Never mind the fact that we have violated the Constitution. Never mind the fact that we've been whole cloth souping, slopping up, just slopping it up like a nice tasty soup. The communications of the internet using a program called Prism. Never mind the fact that we had full metadata collection of your communications. Never mind the fact that we topped. Ya- we. T- 
tapped Yahoo up channel, and when they tried to fight us, we buried them in lawsuits. Never mind the fact that the guy that used to be the CEO of Quest is now in jail because he refused to participate with the NSA programs. Never mind the fact that we had these national security letters that we went rampaging through and got access to do anything we wanted, and that finally somebody had the balls in that institution to reveal that information to the public, and he has sacrificed his life to do so. Never mind any of that. Let's go hang him up. Make sure he stands. He make sure he hangs there, and let's watch the life drip out of him. That's what this guy wants to do because the blood of the Paris attacks are on his hands. Prefer to see him hanged by the neck until he was dead rather than merely electrocuted. Wow. I think the blood of a lot of these French uh, young people is on his hands. Because Uh, of what he revealed. Because of what he turned loose. And they turned loose not only material about some procedural aspects of something. They turned loose, uh, for example... They. uh, Some substantial material about the Mexican uh, intelligence service and the American intelligence service and law enforcement working together against human trafficking. Now, uh, can you can you actually give me uh, any any way that I mean, sure, that's a nice example. How does that relate to the Paris attacks? But let's even zoom out a little bit further from that. What was actually one hundred percent one hundred percent new information? Absolutely new information by the Snowden leaks. What was revealed that we didn't actually know in some bits of details from either the previous whistleblowers or even by some articles like about that room in the San Francisco ISP, the closet not where the ISP – where the NSA had a room. I forget the room number right now. Those stories had actually already ran before Snowden had ever leaked anything. Um, so Snowden is telling the traffickers uh, how we try to catch them. Why? Is he just sort of pro-pimp or what, what is his, his – Stance. Right. So Snowden is pro-pimp because he gave a cache of documents to the journalists and the journalists who work for, you know, respected outlets like The Guardian decided what should be published or shouldn't be published. And because that was the process, Snowden supports pimps. What does – what CIA, FBI, what can the intelligence community – how do they catch up to what these terrorists are able to pull off? You know, I got to admit, if this guy's analysis was actually honest, if he actually felt this way, that awful, that explains an awful lot, doesn't it? Because some jackass podcaster in some small town in the Pacific Northwest is able to have a better analysis than what this guy has. No wonder our intelligence fails so often. No wonder this massive spine apparatus gets us nothing. So either... Former CIA director here is a complete idiot and some little podcaster out here can outclass his analysis or he's lying to us. Well, one thing we need to do, we did this wrong 20, 30 years ago when we figured out how to deal with the Internet by federal law, uh, that we have the best collection of uh, cyber people in the world at the National Security Agency, far beyond anybody. But all they can do is work on protecting their own communications. They can't even, under the rules, protect the Defense Department's communications. Can the rules get Uh, rewritten? uh, Well, one would hope so. Uh, I would like to see them able to work with civilian authorities and help protect American companies and individuals' communications. So he is a proponent of uh, having the CIA work closer with domestic companies. What is that called? What is that called? But a lot of people are more worried about national security agencies knowing something about what they're doing than they are about, say, uh, companies that watch what you buy on the internet and send you a new advertisement and know what your demographics are. You know, he can downplay it. 
he can downplay it. Oh, you know, people are more worried about uh, us knowing what you're doing. Uh, well, just ask David Petraeus. It's actually not about us. It's not about you and I. It's about the fact that this information the NSA is collecting can be used to blackmail people who could be making a difference. Maybe they could one day go after people like Ron, like Ron Wyden, who's actually trying to stop, stop some of this. There are actual people out there who are trying to make a difference. I'm sorry that we are not interesting enough to be spied upon by the NSA. That still doesn't mean they should be monitoring us. If you really want to save lives, if you want to help protect American lives, then help move automated cars forward. Because if you actually want to stop lives, if you actually want to save lives, just look at all the deaths from driving. There you go. There's an area to focus on. Look at all the death. Look at all the deaths from prescription pills. There's another area to focus on. There are tons and tons of ways to save thousands of lives every single year without violating every single person's privacy. There's a lot of ways to do that. You don't have to just do it in this one means. This is why their, their analysis feels so one-sided and so obviously flawed. But we move right along into the, the overarching theme that is making us talk all about this, and that, of course, is terrorism. And so the question is being asked, what is making IS, Dash, ISIL, ISIS, whatever you want to call them, one of the richest terrorist groups ever? Why, of course, it's the oil. But first, we turn to the question of why it's so tough to choke off the supply of money to ISIS. There are new calls for countries to crack down on groups that may be financing them. Earlier today, authorities in Kuwait, which suffered its worst attack from ISIS this summer, arrested members of a cell providing money and arms to the terrorists. New estimates show the militants have resources in the Middle East that go much deeper. Our economics correspondent, Paul Salman, begins part of our Making Sense series, which airs every Thursday on the NewsHour. So we're just now asking, why aren't we doing more to stop the money sources for ISIS? Why aren't we going after the oil? Why aren't we going after the people who are buying the oil? We're, not, we're still not asking that question. We're not asking that question still. But who is buying up all that oil? I wonder if anybody's looked into that. Since the Paris attacks, the forces arrayed against ISIS have been pounding the territory it holds. And specifically, hitting oil it's been extracting for sale. As oil is a key source of ISIS revenue, having made the group one of the richest terrorist armies in history. Earlier today, Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton insisted the U.S. should be targeting ISIS's money. When it comes to terrorist financing, we have to go after the nodes that facilitate illicit trade and transactions. Sure, it sounds the like UN a Security it's Council creepy. should update its terrorism sanctions. Uh, they have a resolution that does try to block uh, terrorist uh, financing and other enabling activities. But we have to place more obligations on countries to police their own banks. Republican candidate yeah, Donald Trump. Who is she? Uh, who is she implying there? Saudi Arabia. Trump has been even more and aggressive. ISIS is making a tremendous amount of money because they have certain oil camps, right? They have certain areas of oil that they took away. They have some in Syria, some in Iraq. I would bomb the out of them. So you can watch the rest of the clip there. But essentially, the issue is one of the ways they continue to find, finance them indirectly is by buying up their oil. So it's one of the reasons why it's a little bit hard to track who exactly is funding them is because it's being shuffled through the oil. Uh, now, I want to move on to a little bit of news that happened uh, in between uh, Wednesday's show and today. One American is dead in a new act of terrorism. This time it happened in the capital of Mali, a former French colony in West Africa. Terrorists stormed the Radisson Hotel today, armed with guns and grenades. Malayan and French special operations forces freed more than 100 hostages, but at least 19 people were killed. 
Elizabeth Palmer in France is following this. Hotel guests were rushed to safety after an assault that began shortly after 7 a.m. They'd been trapped in their rooms when gunmen drove up in a Toyota SUV with diplomatic plates and started shooting. Malian special forces set up an anti-terrorist cordon and then helped by their French counterparts and one off-duty American special forces member, they moved floor to floor, evacuating more traumatized guests and staff. Those rescued included about a dozen Americans, among many foreign diplomats and business people, who were taken to a nearby sports centre where embassy staff came to pick them up. At about 6.50, said this eyewitness, some men started shooting everywhere, shouting, Allahu Akbar. They were jihadis. The French defence minister agrees. He said there was little doubt this man, Mukhtar Belmukhtar, is responsible for the attack. He's head of an al-Qaeda offshoot in North Africa and kidnapper of dozens of Westerners, including the Canadian diplomat Robert Fowler. Terrorists under his command also attacked the Amanas gas plant in Algeria, an atrocity that killed 39 people, including three Americans. Belmukhtar's men took over northern Mali in 2012, A few months later, we went in with the French military force that, along with Malian soldiers, drove them back out. U.S. warplanes tried to kill Belmokhtar in Libya with a missile just this summer, but the Pentagon couldn't confirm his death. Today's attack on the... He just keeps propping up. They uh, keep saying he's dead, actually. We've covered his death, I think, twice on the show. So, and that's just as long as we've been following it. Radisson may prove that Belmokhtar is still very much alive and in control of a murderous militia gunning for Western targets. Scott, the name of the American citizen who was killed in the attack still hasn't been released out of respect to the family. Elizabeth Palmer in Paris for us tonight. Liz, thank you. Liz, thank you. I like how he always calls her. He always calls her Liz. They're tight like that. ISIS is a real monster, and they have reach now that apparently spans the entire globe. From uh, from Syria, they've reached out and they're touching Egypt. They're touching the United States with hatchets. They obviously touched Paris. And now they've even reached into Atlanta to threaten a WWE event. Now to a Fox News alert, terror on the home front after ISIS releases a new propaganda video allegedly threatening more worldwide attacks today. This includes a WWE event tonight in Atlanta. Fox 5 reporter Marissa Mitchell is live at the Phillips Arena there with the latest on this. Marissa, what do you know? Kind of hits you right here in the heart, doesn't it? Well, there's certainly a cloud of uncertainty here at Phillips Arena as people are reacting to that alleged ISIS threat. If you take a look at this video, this all started after an international media outlet reported the hacker group Anonymous uncovered a possible ISIS threat today in Atlanta. Now, the FBI says, quote, it's aware of reports of an alleged threat that includes an Atlanta venue and event. And while we take all threats seriously, we still do not have any specific or credible information on an attack at this time. Are we living in a clown world now where anybody can say anything online and we all just totally crap our pants? What? So much for the land of the brave. I mean, wow. It is really something. You know, speaking of brave, David Cameron, he's tough. He is ready to help France take it to the fight. 
The Belgian capital was home to several of the Paris terror suspects. Elizabeth Palmer's in Paris, where France's president is winning new support this morning to strike back at ISIS. Elizabeth, good morning. Good morning. Francois Hollande has got two priorities at the moment. One is to try and address what turn out to have been dangerous weak spots, not only in French intelligence and European intelligence, but also in border control. So that's first on the list. And secondly, he's also trying to marshal an international alliance to expand the fight against ISIS in Syria. French President François Hollande and his guest, Prime Minister David Cameron, visited the Bataclan Concert Hall this morning, where more than half the victims of the Paris attacks died. Cameron told Hollande he could count on Britain. The United Kingdom will do all in our power to support our friend and ally France to defeat this evil death cult. Cameron will ask his parliament this week to approve British airstrikes against ISIS in Syria. Meanwhile, the French aircraft carrier Charles de Gaulle is now repositioned in the eastern Mediterranean, ready to support France's own air campaign which went into high gear last week with strikes on, among other targets, ISIS oil tankers and a training camp. Here in Paris, French police have appealed to the public once again, asking anyone who knows this man to get in touch. Of the nine terrorists who were directly involved in the Paris attacks, three remain unidentified. Outside the Bataclan, the memorial is still growing. 89 music lovers were murdered as gunmen burst in during the first set of the California band Eagles of Death Metal. Now two of the band members have spoken to Vice News. Now get ready for this. This is a tearjerker. So prepare yourselves. Lead singer Jesse Hughes. People were playing dead and they were so scared. A, A great reason why so many were killed is because so many people wouldn't leave their friends. So, and, uh... So many people put themselves in front of people. Once uh, Francois Hollande, the president of France, has said goodbye to David Cameron, he will pivot and start preparing to travel to Washington to meet with President Obama at the White House tomorrow. Hell yeah. Elizabeth, thank you so much. That's how we go. uh, That's how we roll. We're going to get all broed up. We're going to go over there and we're going to kick some butt. We're going to kick some butt. And remember, we have been kicking butt ever since the attacks. We've been going after the massive strikes. We now have got the ringleader, the mastermind. Now more of the hunt for suspects, with police confirming the death of the so-called ringleader of the Paris shootings. At least one attacker still remains on the loose, and police are turning over every stone to see how deep the threat here and across Europe really is. NBC's Bill Neely tells us more. His body was so riddled with bullets, Abdel Hamid Abaoud was identified by fingerprints. The man who'd organized the massacres in Paris was killed when police stormed an apartment. Alongside him. So remember, when they talk about the mastermind's hideout, when they talk about the ringleader's bunker, all of these different terms they have used, it was his apartment, his low cost apartment. His cousin, who blew herself up after a neighbor recorded her talking to police. Where is your boyfriend? She shouts back. He's not my boyfriend. Police, where is he? He's not my boyfriend. She shouts back again, apparently clearly wanting to know. He's not, they're not dating. Police today searched a home she left three weeks ago. 
my thought there is is she didn't want to be associated with them, and uh, I kind of feel like she got wrapped up in that in that uh, I don't know what else what else you call it, but that ambush they did of the building. Uh, and she the reason why she was saying he's not my boyfriend is because she was trying to say I'm not I'm not part of this. I know I I don't don't and then of course she couldn't she couldn't think clearly. All she could say is he's not my boyfriend. Probably trying to say I'm not part of it. I'm not associated with it. At Possibly. the massacre site's relief, Abaud was dead. It's a good thing they found him. But for the grieving parents of Natalie Lauren killed at the concert hall, no satisfaction. It means nothing, her mother told me. My daughter is dead. CCTV video has emerged of one terror attack at a restaurant. Bullets shattering glass. The video from DailyMail.com shows a woman escaping, shot in the wrist. Customers hiding, and outside a terrorist calmly shooting, taking aim at the head of a woman. But she said later, his gun jammed. No one died inside, five were killed on the street. The threat to France is still real. We cannot say today that this is an end. We think we are just in the middle of the storm. ISIS threatened more attacks today on Italy in a video called Paris Before Rome. Man, the uh, boy, that is some good camera work on that. Did you see that bokeh effect they had going in those cameras? There's some serious depth of field. The French Prime Minister warning today of the risk of terrorists with chemical or biological weapons. After the unthinkable here, that's a warning France won't ignore. And France is still hunting for two men on the run and a bomb maker. The state of emergency here has been extended until spring next year. The prime minister saying France now faces a permanent threat from terrorism. There you go. They've extended it till spring. A permanent threat of terrorism, a state of emergency. Let's go uh, talk a little bit. Yeah, that I'm not quite so sure what happened with that cousin, the girl there. So this clip, uh, a little more information about that. These were the last words of Hasna Ait Bulasen. Earlier, police had said the 26-year-old had detonated an explosives vest as police closed in. But now, forensics teams have determined that the bomb was actually triggered by either the alleged ringleader, Abdelhamid Abaoud, uh-huh. or the other, so far unidentified, suspect killed in the operation. Hey, that's pretty convenient. Investigators are now struggling to understand how a young woman described as modern and fun-loving veered into the path of this deadly terror network. Until a few weeks ago, she lived here with her family. Police brought her mother and brother in for questioning on Thursday. We're in the neighborhood of Al-Nisubwah, and this is where Hasna Ait Bulasen was living. It's a rough neighborhood at the best of times, but even as we approached her building, we were threatened by her neighbors. At her old high school and at the local market, many knew the family, but none would talk to us on camera. By the dance school she once attended, one vendor claimed to have dated her and described her as a party girl who liked to drink and smoke. Yo. The local pharmacist described her as a normal, modern young woman. The mayor of Kreuzwald, where she moved as a teenager, told us she had, quote, a chaotic upbringing, brought up in a foster home after her parents divorced. 
She's really a girl who was a bit crazy. She loved life, loved having fun. She was a girl who had very little to do with Islam, and you never saw her practicing the faith. So when I see this about her, the image of the veil and everything that happened on Sunday, that's what really surprised me. Because she was a girl who had nothing to do with Islam. So that image of her is the opposite, because she didn't represent Islam. But investigators still don't know how she became so deeply involved with ringleader Abdelhamid Abaoud and why she was there on that fateful night the police closed in. Atika Schubert, CNN, Paris. One of the things I've noticed uh, in the last week is a lot more stories about how ISIS is recruiting women again. That comes up from time to time, and I think we have an example of that in the uh, supporter sink, if you want to grab that. I want to bring you up to date now on the latest in the manhunts as we continue to kind of just uh, tuck 167 in nicely with 166 and bring us up to speed on Paris. Belgium remains on high alert. Its main city, Brussels, at the highest security level still, with most told to stay home, schools and the subway shut down. Hundreds of Belgian security forces launched nearly two dozen raids in the last 24 hours, yielding one suspect authorities believe is connected to the Paris attack, but came up empty in the search for Europe's most wanted man. Mm. Salah Abdeslam is not not among the persons arrested during the searches. 26-year-old Salah Abdeslam was last seen hours after the Paris killings on this highway to Belgium in a car with two other men. French authorities checked IDs but waved them on. Abdeslam vanished, but Belgian authorities have arrested the two men with him. The two men say hours after the attacks, they received a phone call from Salah Abdeslam and that he sounded very upset, saying that his car had broken down and he needed a ride back to Belgium. The two friends came to Paris here and picked him up. The attorney stresses they had no idea that he was involved in the attacks. But the attorney also says the men noticed he was carrying something. Quote, a big jacket and other things, maybe like an explosive belt or something like that. Now tonight the word is they may have found one in a trash can somewhere. Unquote. His family believes Abdeslan changed his mind at the last minute and didn't carry out his attack like the others. They point to a rental car in his name found abandoned on a Paris street. Meanwhile, French authorities have released this photo said to be from the travel documents of one of the suicide bombers who blew up outside the stadium in Paris. They believe he used a fake name, so they're asking if anyone recognizes him. Also today, Britain's Prime Minister joined with French President Francois Hollande to pay respects at the Bataclan Concert Hall, where most of the Paris victims were murdered. I firmly support the action that President Hollande has taken to strike ISIL in Syria, and it's my firm conviction that Britain should do so too. There we go. We'll leave it at that because you know the rest from the previous clip. So that is where we're at with the terror attacks. And it seems obvious that it's building to something pretty serious. It's a whole new level now, isn't it? And uh, we're going to get to that because now let's talk about Syria. Let's talk about Russia, Syria, and all of that. Uh, And uh, the question coming around now is, is it possible for either Russia to concede on Assad or for the U.S. to concede concede on Assad leaving power? Because it really seems that's the stalemate and everything's going to continue on in Syria until – There comes to be some agreement there. There are some U.S. lawmakers that are hoping to push the dialogue forward in the U.S. so that we concede and maybe let Assad stay in power. 
Two U.S. lawmakers from opposing political parties are putting their differences aside over Syria. They are challenging the White House to abandon its calls for President Assad to step down and instead focus on fighting against the Islamic State. What a concept! They've introduced a bill to cut the flow of funds to opposition groups in Syria. The U.S. and the CIA should stop this illegal and counterproductive war to overthrow the Syrian government. What I like about her, she's out of Hawaii. Uh, she is also calling out the CIA operations, the stuff that we don't normally talk about. Oh, we only have um, five operatives uh, in the battle at the moment. Yeah, bullshit. Five operatives the Pentagon has trained. There's thousands the CIA has funded and trained, and she's calling them out for that. Uh, of Assad and should stay focused on fighting against who our enemy is, the Islamic extremist groups. The U.S. has been heavily engaged in Syria for several years now, training and arming anti-government fighters. Since two, uh, 2013, the CIA runs convert operations to fund, arm, and train Syrian moderate opposition. The text on the screen reads... Around 10,000 10, fighters, scores defected jihadists... ISIL accidentally gets large drops from the U.S. in October of 2014. We spend $500 million in 2015 to train rebels. So they go ahead and have a, they have a poke right here. And then they bring on somebody to, uh, to discuss it, and they play a few clips. I'll play a couple of these because they are, they are kind of interesting, and they do kind of, well, tell the story themselves. Can you tell us what the total number of trained fighters remains? Uh, it's a small number, and uh, uh, the ones that are in the fight is, uh, is, is we're talking four, four or five. That's of Pentagon. So when, when you actually look at the, uh, the CIA numbers, it's, it's much, much higher, much, much higher. Uh, so Obama is being pushed to say perhaps maybe it's not time to uh, get Assad out. Maybe right now there's other things we could do. And Obama's not having this at all. Obama, he's traveling around right now and he's pissed. He's like, look, you guys can just go off, pop your mouths off like a bunch of jerks. Uh, but I don't hear any better plans. And of course, guys like Senator McCain, like, I got a better plan. Boots on the ground. Switching gears now, President Obama laid out his plan to fight ISIS after meeting with world leaders at the G20 summit in Turkey this week. He took reporters' questions and was a little short when it was suggested he wasn't pursuing a comprehensive strategy to fight terror. He then challenged anyone with a better plan to come forward. And I think it's entirely appropriate in a democracy to have a serious debate about these issues. Folks want to pop off and have opinions about uh, what they think pop they off. would do. Present a specific plan. Well, we found someone who took that plan on. Joining us now to talk about his plan to rid the world of ISIS, which he laid out in a popular op-ed this week, is retired general and Fox News military analyst Bob Scales. So Bob Scales here has got a map he's standing in front of, and I tease this a little bit in the Unfiltered Supporter Show. I would not be surprised if this doesn't turn out to be essentially the long-term plan. There's some discussion now about NATO taking some serious actions together because of what happened in Paris, and there's provisions that NATO could use to go in there. They don't need Russia. And if you did end up sending some boots on the ground, you'd need a plan. And it wouldn't be interesting if what this man is about to out outlay right here on this show, and maybe it doesn't happen until we have a new president in the White House, but eventually... The direction this thing is going, there's going to be boots on the ground. And I would not be too surprised if the rough outline isn't exactly what he's about to tell us right here on this show 
on episode 167 of the Unfiltered Program. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, ISIS has proven itself unique. That's established. So I want to ask you, how has the network conquered transcending across borders? I see you standing in front of a map. (laughs) It's bleeding between Syria and Iraq with a huge presence in Raqqa. So how do we begin to take that on? Oh, that's a great question, Elizabeth. And as, and as ISIS becomes more deadly and it becomes more ex- unacceptable to the West, the U.S. should form and lead a coalition. What would it consist of? Well, certainly France, perhaps some NATO countries, U.K., Turkey, and some Sunni states, uh, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, perhaps the Gulf states. But what do they do for a ground campaign? Well, as we've learned uh, in the military, you strike at the enemy's vul- most vulnerable point. We call it the center of gravity, and that's the northern city of Raqqa, just south of the Turkish border, as shown on this map. How would something like this go down? Well, with most American operations, it would begin with an extensive air campaign, fighter planes, AC-130 gunships, uh, attack helicopters. You know, just mutilate the place, just bomb the shit out of them. So the purpose of that is to, is to make the city of Raqqa uninhabitable. Kill as many people as possible. Just kill them. Collapse bridges. Turn the lights out. Uh, uh, make it in a, make make sure the families suffer. No water, no power, no food. Uh, impede the food and water supply. And the next part of the operation is to move south with a force of about 25,000 soldiers. Let's just say five brigades. Sure. The U.S. contribution could be two brigades, yeah, two armored brigades, two along with special forces, soldiers, and Delta SEALs and Rangers that would form a loose cordon around the city, made uh, easier by the presence of the Euphrates River to the south, which forms sort of a natural moat. Remember that one, everybody. Remember that one. That actually, I would not be too surprised if that doesn't play out. Let's back that up a bit, because I think that could be a little tidbit. Delta SEALs and Rangers that would form a loose cordon around the city, made uh, easier by the presence of the Euphrates River to the south, which formed sort of a natural moat. And then these forces would begin to invest the city. They'd open corridors for innocent civilians to escape and be given refuge outside the uh, outside the cordon. And Pump more, get more of those refugees out. Pump them out. Then over time, ISIS in Raqqa would collapse. Once that happens... Slow, steady, suffering campaign. Eventually they would collapse. Then Western powers, the United States and perhaps our NATO allies would leave and the Sunni Arab armies would be left to hold on to this. You know, guys like Saudi Arabia who have been funding ISIS all along, they'll be left to just run everything. What could go wrong? Precious part of ISIS. Now, ISIS without its capital, without its heartland, without its center of gravity would be... I don't know, would be like Islam without Mecca or Catholicism without the Vatican. They'd lose mm-hmm. their, their, their anchor point uh, that gives them legitimacy in the world. And over time, they would turn from a military threat to the West into a police problem. That would be the accepted end state of this operation, Elizabeth. All right. Well, General, you're talking about a coalition led by the United States. Are we seeing that right now? Because we're seeing a little bit more of an aggressive stance from Russia. I like, I like, that's actually a pretty decent question. Aren't we already seeing that? In fact, in the wake of the Paris attack, really the U.S. is sort of taking the lead again. And people are, France is uh, working with the U.S. Uh, Britain is going to work with France and the U.S. Russia is sort of stepping more in line with the U.S. and coordinating more. Uh, everybody's sort of the, – the, the power has sort of shifted back into the hands of the United States. And so Russia comes up in this line of questioning and, and she kind of says, aren't we already doing this? Are they trying to take a lead here? <laughs> I'd leave Russia and Iran out of this. Oh. I think that- 
Who said anything about Iran? Oh, oh. The total ground force that's needed for an operation like this is only about 25 to 30,000. Uh, if we build the right coalition, uh, coalition with willing allies, I'm reasonably sure that this ground operation could be quick, relatively bloodless on both sides. Of course. And it could be conducted without the help of Russia. We don't need Iran. the Russians. When you talk about ground forces, that the term boots on the ground comes up. That's a hard pill for a lot of Americans to swallow. Right. How do you get the better half of Americans and lawmakers and the president on board to shift the tone and put boots on the ground? So here's the dark answer, and I think he's actually right. What he's about to essentially say is, oh, I don't have to worry about that. Eventually, this is just going to keep happening, and the public will will change. The public pressure will increase. So I don't really have to, you know, this is just going to happen. Well, first of all, ISIS is going to do this to themselves. Their hubris and their overconfidence and their strategic overreach around the world is eventually going to drive uh, the Western powers, the civilized nations of the world, to insist that ISIS be destroyed. That won't be our responsibility. That will be their responsibility. And eventually, in time, the world will begin to realize that an air campaign simply isn't working, that, as you say, boots on the ground are necessary if ISIS is ultimately to be destroyed, Elizabeth. All right, General Bob Scales, thank you so much. We'll see if the president gets a look uh, at your op-ed. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Yeah, something tells me it was uh, not just his idea. Something tells me he's more of a spokesperson than he is actually the originator of the idea. And, you know, Tom Brokaw must be a viewer of the show. Perhaps he's as concerned about the media as I am because he said something on air this week. Uh, actually, I believe he said it today that essentially echoes what I said last week, and I thought maybe we'd close out this chapter on uh, Syria and terrorism with uh, my thoughts said by Tom, Bro Tom Brokaw in a much more gravitas and uh, serious kind of way with a very special way of talking. I don't want this broadcast to end without all of us dealing with a new reality. We're at war. This has changed. Paris has changed the, the place of America in this war against ISIS, and it is now a war. And it's not going to be a ground war with the United States sending 20 to 40,000 troops up against ISIS. It's very complicated. We're going to have to a greater presence in Iraq to protect the Iraqi government so it doesn't fall. And then we have the same kind of division that we had in the past. We're going to have to have more special forces in, uh, in, in Iraq to go against ISIS. We're going to have to control the airspace. There's no question about that. We're not going to get a lot of help from our European allies this time. Right. It's not like... Uh, it's not like we're going to get a lot of help, he says. I, 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 I will, yeah. I will uh, hold, hold on, guys. Come on. I, the, uh, the, the, there's just uh, – I, I. And, you know, what it really drives me crazy is like we didn't see the uh, immigrant and the, uh, the refugee situation coming. We didn't see the refugees. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen if you go in there and you bomb like this? You drop all these bombs on these buildings. Where are these people going to go? They, we didn't see this coming. And so that's why we – this week, since uh, we really haven't talked about it much for a couple of weeks, uh, but it's been really uh, in the last couple of weeks, the U.S. bringing in refugees from Syria and Iraq uh, debate, if you could call it that, has taken on its uh, typical American polarized kind of – Facebook quantified post where people just can post their opinions online and all of a sudden they're experts on the topic. And it, this kind of thing really drives me crazy because I look at this and I think to myself, 
if you bomb a place, the people that live there no longer have a place to live, so they have to go somewhere. It seems the obvious result. If you support this kind of military policy, then how can you not support taking in refugees? I don't. I don't really care. I don't want more. I don't. I don't want more people living here. This like my state is one of the places that wants to take a whole bunch of them. I'm not a huge fan of it, but at the end of the day, if in aggregate the nation appears to support this approach to a national policy, then it seems like this would be the natural result of said approach. Now we go to that big defeat for President Obama in his bid to keep America open to Syrian refugees. Democrats join Republicans to pass a bill that would suspend the Syrian refugee program until a much tougher screening process is put in place. And there were enough votes in the House to override the president's promised veto. ABC's John Carl has all the latest from the White House. Good morning, John. Good morning, George. This was a major rebuke for the president after days of making the case for his plan to bring in more Syrian refugees. Democrats and Republicans in the House voted to put the program on hold. In the end, it wasn't even close. The yeas are 289 and the nays are 137. The bill is passed. The bill says no Syrian or Iraqi refugee can come into the United States until high-level U.S. officials certify that he or she is not a threat. 47 Democrats joined Republicans in voting yes, more than enough to override a presidential veto. And this is urgent. We cannot and should not wait to act, not when our national security is at stake. Secretary of State John Kerry said there is no reason to fear Syrian refugees. It's inappropriate for America, of all countries in the world, to panic and to somehow turn our backs on our fundamental values. Inappropriate. Take a look at what voters say is their top issue for the 2016 campaign. More name ISIS than any other issue by far. Man, does that just suck or what? Can you believe it? Can you believe they have managed to take this group of bo- boogeymen who are in the Middle East who have really, really no way of reaching out to us over apparently over Twitter and YouTube is how they threaten and inspire us. And yet somehow out of all of the issues in the United frickin States of America, the public, at least according to this Bloomberg poll on November 17th, so the public by 21% says ISIS is the primary threat. And then, like a bunch of cowards, the second thing that they're most concerned about is freaking terrorism. And terrorism is tied for second, stoking more fears, news that two Syrian families, including four young children, showed up at a U.S. border crossing in Texas seeking asylum. That prompted this from Donald Trump border, via like Instagram. They're going to be pouring in. We don't know who they are. Could be ISIS. Fellow Republican frontrunner Ben Carson compared screening refugees to protecting children from rabid dogs. If there's a, a rabid dog running around your neighborhood, you're probably not going to assume something good about that dog. Wow, this guy. And you're probably going to put your children out of the way doesn't mean that you hate all dogs by any stretch of the imagination. Hillary Clinton accused Republicans of violating fundamental American values. Discriminating against Muslims, slamming the door on every Syrian refugee, that is just not who we are. Donald Trump has gone so far as to propose creating a national database of Muslims in the United States. But George and Robin, the president has a lot of work here to convince the American people. In a recent poll, only 28 percent favored going forward with the refugee program as he has outlined it. And you've got 31 states now saying they're not going to welcome the refugees. This is going to be a tough fight. All right.
There you go. So that is the refugee debate as it stands for this week's episode. Now, uh, as we wrap up, I have one story that's more food related because it is the Thanksgiving week here in the U.S. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving to all of you who support it. We're going to be off on our regular Wednesday spot, hence the Monday show like I explained earlier. But I thought we still get away with a food story since it's Thanksgiving week, right? That's legit. We can run a food story on the Unfilter show. Some call it Frankenfish, others a great new source of healthy food. And today, the FDA is officially calling genetically modified salmon fit for human consumption. I'm not too keen on that. I think it's kind of weird. The new salmon will come from a Canadian company called Aqua Advantage, which will hatch the eggs in Canada, then ship them to Panama to be farmed, and eventually sell the fish fillets here in the U.S. Genetically engineered salmon or genetically modified salmon is... um, changing or altering the genetic material in a way that you couldn't do with traditional breeding. So in this case, it's taking genetic material from an eel, another type of salmon, and then putting that in a third type of salmon to supposedly make it grow faster. It's about time. Gregory Jaffe of the Center for Science and the Public Interest says the genetically modified salmon has been studied for years and there's no evidence it poses a health risk. Science today seems to suggest that this genetically engineered salmon is no different than its conventional counterpart. But even he admits the company selling the GM fish should make it clear to consumers something that is not required by the FDA. The genetically modified fish don't have to be labeled. As a consumer, I certainly want to know what I'm getting. It's sneaky. It shouldn't be that way. If they're going to buy salmon, they should look for wild salmon because that is one way to know um, for sure that it's not genetically engineered. Julie Watts for CBS News. San Francisco. Now, I know, I know. It's a salmon story. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> I just thought, I don't know what it is about these salmon stories, but for some reason, babies come from the Pacific Northwest. We have them almost on a monthly basis over here. Like, So now to see it go national to me uh, was, was fairly funny. And, uh, you know, of course, there are other food stories. I, I, I sort of buried the lead because it is, after all, uh, it, is the, uh, it is the turkey week. So there is, of course, always going to be a turkey-related story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to our last story, our turkey-related story, I got to do a little side story about drones. It's been a while. The weapon America uses to launch airstrikes against ISIS and other terrorist organiza- organizations overseas is soaring in popularity here at home. But the unmanned drones are quickly becoming the must-have gadget for businesses, filmmakers, journalists, and hobbyists, too. So as the use of remote-controlled aircraft grows more widespread, so does the potential for crashes and accidents and and innocent victims. That's why Florida is now considering a drone victims bill, legislation that would hold operators liable for any damage. For more, we're going to go now to RT's Marina Portnaya in our Miami studio. Hi there, Marina. So it looks like Florida's taking the lead on this, addressing a, a, I guess, a national problem. Uh, The FAA is saying that, that it's been receiving more than 100 reports every month of pilot sighting <laughs> and other drone safety issues? That's right, Manila. It is a widespread problem, but a problem widespread. that the Sunshine Saint is apparently very familiar with. According to reports, Florida had the third highest number of drone incidents in the country last year. Now, this state already has uh, drone laws that guard against invasion of privacy and unwarranted police surveillance. But as of now, drone victims aren't protected against injury. The bill being proposed would provide, provide a legal recourse for drone accident victims to recover victims. costs from the owner or operator of a drone if the device was a substantial contributing factor to the injury. What do you think? 
go over to uh, unfilter.reddit.com. What is your thoughts on that particular one? Uh, should the drone – I mean it seems like uh, probably there should be some level of uh, – Liability if you crash into somebody's face with a blade. But at the same time, that could just become such a mess for the new drone industry. You could see why they'd want to push back against that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, because it is a national holiday, we have our TSA threats. And of course, right here in the United States of America, we've got our turkey shortages. Thanksgiving is just over a week away. So many of you probably have turkey on the brain. But the feast may hurt your wallet a little more this year thanks to a nationwide turkey shortage. WNCT's Jessica Jewell has more with how this will affect us. Jessica. Yeah, Maria, this is not the news we want to hear right before Thanksgiving. (laughs) Absolutely not. But with supplies down and these prices up, Getting the gobble is going to be a little tougher for us all. Yes, she just said it. She just, oh man, will somebody sound clip that? Getting the gobble is going to be a little tougher for us all. Hey It's especially tough for some organizations <laughs> in our community who rely on donations to feed families in need. The bird flu wiped out 8 million turkeys this year, and as a result, the U.S. Department of Agriculture expects the price of turkey to rise this year up to $1.36 per pound. Pastor Rodney Coles with the Church's Outreach Network says they typically feed more than 3,000 families every Thanksgiving, but this year may be different. Our freezer is really empty right now. We done a food drive last week, and we kind of empty out. Um, this year is going to be hard for people to get a turkey. I'm getting calls, oh, you're going to have turkeys this year, and I really, really don't know. The local food bank is also bearing the brunt of the shortage. They tell us the impact a shopper feels has a profound effect on what they can offer to families. Now, you can still help feed those in need this Thanksgiving. For details, head to our website at WNCT.com. Jessica Jewell, 9 on your side. This is CNN's Wolf Blitzer, and you're in the Situation Room. Yeah, Chris here standing in for Wolf Blitzer. I'm reporting live on the scene at a local grocery store. Yeah, I can confirm these turkeys are more expensive. Wolf, are you there? Wolf. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. Wolf, I can confirm these turkeys are more expensive. And in fact, yes, we're, we're worried that Americans may not be as fat this year. They may not eat as much. Wolf, this is a major issue. Yeah, okay. It really, I do feel bad for people that don't get a turkey. But you know what you could do is just go get yourself some turkey breast. Call it good. Save, your, save yourself some time, too. That's the unfiltered pro tip here. And why not wrap it up right there with a classic unfiltered pro tip 167 in the bag for a monday edition lots to cover if you didn't get a chance to listen to 166 you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong 166 was was meant to snuggle with 167 a lot happening and we did it this week because we're audience funded patreon.com slash unfilter by the way if you have a successful november payment on the unfilter patron at patreon.com slash unfilter where we are audience funded if you have a successful monthly payment in the month of november you will automatically be added to a swag giveaway we are doing in the first couple of weeks of december we have something extremely epic for the unfilter audience very very proud of this one really all credit goes to Ange. it's really something so be imp- become a patron, or if you're already a patron, you're in. Patreon.com slash unfilter. We'll be doing some giveaways in early December. If you have your address, like your shipping information in Patreon, make sure it's up to date. Some of you fools be moving around, and then we go to ship you something, and it comes back to us. I got 99 problems, and swag is definitely one of them. So Patreon.com slash unfilter. Also support this show. We are here today on a Monday during the holiday week because we didn't want to do a disservice to our audience. Too much going on. Are we watching the beginning of World War III? I hate saying that, but maybe. This is the people's history of it if we are. 
and we need your help. This show, years from now, is gonna go, we'll, we'll be able to go back and look at some extremely interesting times, some historic times, if you will. And it's a people's record of it. Not the bullcrap version that CNN's going to put to a beat with some infographs and text in a few years to summarize what's going on. Not the crap version that's going to be posted up on Reddit with all of the inaccurate comments. But an actual people's history that organically changes and it really only answers its audience. Patreon.com slash unfilter and be entered into the Sway giveaway. JBLive.tv when we are live. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar for our broadcast schedule converted to your local time zone. And you can supply our show with stories. Unfilter.reddit.com. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfilter. And I'll see you right back here next week.